If you're able, please stand to show reverence for the Lord as we join in the reading of his word. Our Old Testament reading comes from Genesis 45, 3 to 11. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Brothers' brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant of earth and to keep it alive for, for your many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. The New Testament is from Luke 6, 27 to 38. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Good, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, I'll read that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners. Get back the same amount. But love your, name, your enemies and do good. And lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, will be measured back to you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, how grateful we are to you for your word. And we're grateful that it is alive. Lord, if you don't help me, Lord, I have nothing to say. And if you don't unstop our ears, we can't hear what you are saying to us. So help us now by your spirit that we may give you praise that Jesus Christ is honored and our hearts, Lord, are, are drawn more and more to you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. This, as you know, the preservation of life is big business. Every night there are infomercials that seek to sell us life-preserving agents. It's a pill or a lotion or a drink or a machine by which you can exercise your way to everlasting life. And others believe that it's a geographical location like Florida. Did you know that the city, that the city of St. Augustine, Florida is home to the Fountain of Youth Archaeological Park? And while at the park, you can drink the water for free, but entrance into the park will cost you $18. <laughs> yeah, and Hollywood has made movies about preserving life. But in these, people are still sinful, and, and they get tired of, of living. Now, who wants to live forever if you still have to battle with sin? And yet, isn't it ironic that people have risked their lives to preserve their lives? We humans live in the shadow of death. Furthermore, for all of our, our efforts, we can't stop death. We have no real power to preserve life. In fact, you could say death is in our DNA. It runs in my family. Paul Offit, in his book, Do You Believe in Magic, he writes of the findings of a team of scientists about the aging process, and, and this is what he says. He says, although anti-aging anti gurus rail against mainstream medicine for not being on their side, the biggest problem is that science isn't on their side. Olshanky, Hayflick, and, and Carnes, it's the team of scientists, argue that the biggest reason we age is oxidation, which realizes free radicals that damage DNA. As DNA mutations accumulate, cell functions are impaired, causing an increased vulnerability to infection and disease. At the heart of the problem are mitochondria, small organelles in every cell that release free radicals while converting nutrients to energy. Because converting nutrients to energy is necessary for life, and because that process produces the free radicals that eventually kill us, we are, in effect, born to die. It is an inescapable biological reality, they wrote, that once the engine of life switches on, the body inevitably sows the seeds of its own destruction. Death is in our DNA. And so the Apostle Paul, when he cries out, is there anyone who can deliver, who will deliver me from the body of this death? He wasn't wrong. See, God is the only one 
He's the one who preserves life. And when he preserves life, it isn't so we might fulfill selfish desires. God preserves life for his glory. And, and if he has preserved your life, it is so that you might cooperate with him in the preservation of lives. So Joseph's story is a picture of what God does to preserve life. And Jesus in the Gospel of Luke gives us practical principles for preserving life. And you could say that this, what you read in Joseph's story is what you, it, it, Luke chapter 6 is everything that Joseph does. So what does the preservation of life mean and, and what does it look like? Well, the preservation of life isn't a potion, it, it, it's, nor is it a sip from a fountain, neither is it an individual pursuit. But it's an act of God's generosity that preemptively forgives with the goal of perpetuating life and community by providing to prevent poverty so that he can passionately embrace us forever. I think I need to say that again. <laughs> So the, the preservation of life isn't a potion, it's not a, it's not a sip from a fountain, neither is it an individual pursuit, but it is an act of God's generosity that preemptively forgives with the goal of perpetuating life and community by providing to prevent poverty so that he can passionately embrace us forever. All that is in, is in Joseph's story, and it's what we see in Luke chapter 6, that this is, this, is, this is the way God preserved. He sent Jesus before us to preserve life. So preemptively forgiving. Look at verses 3 through 5 of, of Genesis 45. And, G, and Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. You see, the story of Joseph is well known. And here in chapter 45, we have the big reveal of Joseph to his brothers. And you know, up till now, Joseph had been, he'd been testing his brothers to see if they had changed. And it's been some 20 years. And he set, so, so he set them up, making, making them look like thieves. After, after, after a big meal, and, 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 and he, he takes a, a, a one of the silver cups and puts it in Benjamin's bag, and it, without them knowing, they run off, they leave, they're heading back to, 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 uh, uh, to, to, their, to their father, and Joseph sends his men after them. They, find, they, they catch them, they find, they find Benjamin's bag, oh, and it's got the cup in it, and they bring him back, and they're in front of Joseph, and he's like, oh, you know, they're terrified because he's got the power to kill them. And here, here Judah steps in, and he pleads Benjamin's, for Benjamin's life. He, he pleads and offers himself into, to take the punishment of Benjamin. And in this was a demonstration that his brothers had changed. And now in the story, Joseph had already broken down twice, secretly, before, but now hearing that his father is alive and seeing his brother and having one of them offer to take his punishment, he sends everyone out of the room and reveals himself to his brothers. 
Now you might wonder, how could he? How could he do this after what they had done to him? I mean, what they did was, I mean, you, you would think that that's unforgivable. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't just an impractical joke. I mean, they sold him into slavery. What, how could he do this? Well, he preemptively forgave them. So all those years that he had been enslaved and, and was imprisoned, he didn't grow bitter at his brothers. In his heart, he had forgiven them even before they asked. Did you hear, that? Did you hear what he said? Come near to me, please. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Now, isn't, that, isn't that like God? You remember when Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son? Isn't it, isn't it the story of a preemptive forgiveness of the father? That all the while the son had squandered his wealth, wished the father dead, wanting, wanting, his, wanting his inheritance now? That the father is standing on the porch looking for his son, waiting for his son, waiting for him to return. All the time, that father is forgiving in his heart. He has forgiven that son. You see, getting that understanding of God and, and his love for you, that will move your heart. That'll move your heart. And see, we're, usually we're good at rehearsing our hurts. We're good at rehearsing. We're good at rehearsing what somebody did, what somebody said, how we weren't liked or how we were received. That's, we're good at rehearsing that. But if we're better at rehearsing and understanding the love that God has for you, that moves your heart. Understanding that God's heart toward you is ready to forgive, preemptively granting mercy and forgiveness. So is there, is there any reason you can offer not to come and confess your sins and leave your guilt behind? God has, in Christ, forgiven you. Stop distressing. Don't be angry with yourself. Oh, see, you know, Joseph, yeah, you might think Joseph's going easy on them, but he's, he's not. Remember, he said, you sold me into slavery. But he had a different, he, yet he had a, dip, a deeper motive for preemptively forgiving them. Because you know, how, could, how could Joseph forgive them before they asked for forgiveness? Isn't it, aren't, aren't people supposed to ask? Isn't that, if they ask for forgiveness, then you're obligated to forgive. Aren't they supposed to ask? But he understood. Joseph understood the covenant that God had made with his father and, and his father's father and, and his father. Before him, perhaps he heard his father tell the story repeatedly how his grandmother and, and grandfather were barren until God gave them a child. He heard the, the story of the 400 years prediction of a slavery for his grandfather, his great grandfather's descendants. I guess I got to stop touching this thing. <laughs> Pray for me. <laughs> on this on this ground. He forgives them. Counting, counting, counting that God uses his brother's evil to perpetuate life in and, and community. 
That God used, he uses his brother as evil to perpetuate life and community. This is point number two in verses six through eight. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. See, Joseph's preemptive forgiveness was about perpetuating life and community. He would say, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for, many, for, for you many survivors. So it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. God was at work in Joseph's troubles to save the lives of his family. Donald Gray Barnhouse, the pastor, well, he's now, he's now gone to be with the Lord. He's pastor at 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia. He gave a great summary of God's orchestrating every detail of Joseph's life. He said this, the jealous hatred of brethren, the dreams of a youth, the passage of a caravan bound for Egypt, the preparation of Joseph by a life of adversity, the anger of Pharaoh, and the imprisonment of two officials, the strange dreams of these prisoners, and Joseph's supernatural gift for interpretation, the dreams of Pharaoh, the change of rainfall in a fourth of Africa to bring about the two cycles of abundance and famine by the flood and failure of the Nile, the elevation of Joseph to the throne of Egypt, all of these things were brought about naturally by the supernatural work of God, who is Lord of all, in order to fulfill the counsel of his will. Yeah, yeah to perpetuate life and community, God sovereignly ordains and orchestrates the events of the lives of his children so that he is glorified, his kingdom is built, and life continues. Now think about what Joseph is saying to his brothers. Your sin against me and, and my suffering because of your sin, the pain and the hurt you caused our father has all turned out to save the lives of our children and our children's children. What a humbling, transforming truth. And at the same time, you and I can take comfort with this truth that not even our sin will stop God's plan for preserving life and community. Hallelujah. Y'all are learning. See, that was a good place to say amen. Yes. See, but, along, but along with perpetuating life and community, he also provides to prevent poverty. Look at verses 9 and 11. Hurry and go up to my father and, and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. You see, in preserving life, God has designed the planet to provide it, and it is dependence on God's providence that enables us to prevent poverty. See, aren't you, aren't you amazed at the amount of food that is in the world? Yeah. Yeah, is, are, you, are you ever shocked when you go in the grocery store and there's chicken? 
and there's all kinds of chickens, all different kind of companies selling chicken. And they have all types of chicken. It's organic chicken, it's chicken that's not fed with hormones, it's free range chicken. I mean, there's, and it's, it's just, and there's chicken wings. <laughs> and you can get them segmented. I mean, aren't, aren't you amazed? And then, you know, and then there's, I mean, there's all kinds, there's so much food and that, that, that's, uh, that's available. And I, and I know that sometimes these days you see empty shelves, but, but, but the stuff, we're told, is sitting on, on, on cargo ships waiting to, be, to get unloaded. So the issue, the issue isn't that God hasn't provided, because the scripture tells us in Psalm 145, verse 15 and 16, that eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. God has provided. The problem is that people are greedy. Eugene Peterson, talking about our problem with greed, he says this. He says, the experts on the world hunger problems say that there is enough to go around right now. We don't have a production problem. We have the agricultural capability to produce enough food. We have the transportation. We have the transportation technology to distribute the food. But we have a great a greed problem. If I don't grab mine while I can, I might not be happy. The hunger problem is not going to be solved by government or by industry, but in church among Christians who learn a different way to pursue happiness. Yeah, and in Luke chapter 6, you know, Jesus, as he's preaching, he says that that, that that different way is to be generous in mercy and forgiveness. Look at what he says in verse 37 and 38 of, of Luke 6. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, these verses come at the end of, of, what, of Christ talking about loving your enemy. And not being like the sinners who, who only do what they do to get back what they gave. And Jesus says that to, that to let your mercy and your forgiveness be free-flowing in such a way that, that you, you aren't able to measure what it is that you get back. You can't beat God's giving. So to talk about preserving Life preemptively forgiving is, is, is out of a generosity of spirit that promotes the perpetuation of life and community, which goes hand in hand with providing to prevent poverty. See, scripture teaches that God is at work in the one who, who will, like Joseph, suffer to see his neighbor's poverty prevented. Now that thought, that thought is scary to Westerners. That thought is scary to, because you know, Westerners will say, why can't they pull themselves up by, by their own bootstraps? If that's, your, if that's your attitude, you need to hear what the word of God is saying. Listen to Psalm 41, verses 1 and 2. He says, blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Not the poor, he delivers the one who considers the poor. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He's called blessed in the land. You do not give up him to you, you do not give him up to the will of his enemies. 
And see, Paul would write about Jesus, who definitely considered our poverty. He said this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he was poor. He became poor for your sake. Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. See, Jesus provided to prevent our poverty. Hallelujah. We ought to provide such consideration so as to prevent the poverty of our brothers and sisters. Preemptively forgiving to perpetuate life and community by providing to prevent poverty is so that you and I can live reconciled since we are passionately embraced Look at verse 15. We, we should have read that earlier. That verse 15 of, of Genesis 45. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Maybe one of the most difficult things in modern Christian experience to know is, is that God loves you. He love, God loves you. That he loves you even after You've confessed the same sin for the umpteenth time. Umpteenth is an actual word. (laughs) God loves you and is at work in in your life. You know, there was a time I was so messed up at one point in my life that I I was trying to get away from Christ trying to run away from the call to the ministry. I I tried to run from God because I was so disappointed in Christians. They were so self-righteous. They they were so mean and and hypocrites. And, and, And some of them were just downright, in my thinking, racists. And I wanted nothing to do with them. And that lasted for about a year and a half. And yet every day, every day, I felt like God was... God was after me. God was, and that God was going to kill me. But that's not what he was, that's not how he, yeah, God was after me. And it was, see, I gotta stop touching this. <laughs> but it was the love of God that, that broke my stony, stubborn heart. I got a hold of a copy of, of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, and I came across these words. I can't ever talk about this without it getting to me. He writes this, Christian love, either towards God or towards man, is an affair of the will. If we are trying to do his will, we are obeying the commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. He will give us feelings of love if he pleases. We cannot create them for ourselves, and and we must not demand them as a right. But the great thing to remember is that though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. It is not wearied by our sins or our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless in its determination that we shall be cured of those sins at whatever cost to us, at whatever cost to him. When I read that, I came face to face with my own self-righteousness and my own hypocrisy. And, and I, had to, I, had, I had not loved him. And I felt that steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. It wasn't letting me go. 
And I said in my heart, how, how can I resist such love? And I was, I was broken at that point. And I'll tell you, that was 40 years ago. And it would still be some years before I understood that just as Joseph wept and kissed his brothers, God was in Christ falling on my neck and weeping and, and kissing me. That he had, in Christ, passionately embraced me. Yeah. That's hard for for it's hard for modern Christians to believe that, that God loves you that much. So here's the question. Do you believe that God is actively preserving life? Do you believe that his mighty sovereign power is orchestrating the events of history so that his people are kept even through death? You might have heard Joseph's story preached before and, and, the, and the sermon climaxes with you. You need to be like Joseph. But I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that because following Joseph's example, it'll only make you feel more distressed. You can't be Joseph. Joseph couldn't be Joseph if God hadn't helped him. You see, yeah, following Joseph's example, it's not enough. And imitating Joseph will not preserve your life. The only way to preserve your life is to let your faith rest in God's provision for your life through Jesus Christ. Jesus is better than Joseph. How do you know what God will do to preserve life? Well, consider, consider, I keep touching this thing. Consider the gift of his son. We all know John 3.16, and that, 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 he's, that God gave his one and only son that we might have eternal life. But you know, do you know Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24? Because it tells us that he will orchestrate the events of the world in such a way that his grace is revealed through the death and resurrection of his one and only son. Listen to what, what, what Peter preached. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and, and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killing by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. What's he saying? God sent Jesus before you to preserve life. See, through Jesus, the generosity of God is shown. He makes known to us the riches of his grace, lavished upon us with all wisdom and knowledge, the Bible tells us. Through Jesus, God preemptively forgives our sin. Before I formed you in the womb, he said, I knew you. Before the foundation of the world, he chose you in Christ to be holy and blameless before him. In love, the scripture says, he predestined us for adoption to himself. 
Through Jesus, God is perpetuating life and community in the church so that we, the church, might be filled with all the fullness of God, made to live in the presence of God, seeing the face of God, drinking from the fountain of the, of the, of the, of the river of life, flowing from the throne of God, and eating of the tree of life whose leaves are provided for the healing of the nations. Through Jesus... God has prevented our poverty and provided us with everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. Through Jesus, God has embraced us as his beloved children so that, as John says, now we are the children of God. See, friends, you have to rest in this generosity from God that is found in Jesus Christ. See, Joseph's brothers couldn't do anything except, but accept and live in the gracious provision laid before them. It was for them and their children. To ignore Joseph's provision was to court death. And so it is with the offer of Jesus Christ in the gospel. There is no preservation of life apart from the generosity of God. And taking, these, taking this into our hearts, that's the goal of discipleship. Taking, taking it into our hearts is what transforms us as a community. Taking this truth into our hearts is what enables us to live without guilt and shame. I'm almost done here. And so, yes, it is, it is ironic that some people risk their lives to preserve their lives. But Jesus gave up his life so you and I could live forever. And while the Fountain of Youth Archaeological Park might charge you $18 to get in, Jesus paid the entrance fee into eternal life with his blood. And he says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, help us to, to revel in the glories of being your children. God, embolden us to live boldly as that community that you have, have created, that you have preserved their life. And Lord, and you have prevented our poverty. Enable us, Lord, to develop generosity in such a way oh, that we are not able, Lord, that we see and witness and give you praise for the way that, that you give back to us good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over into our laps. For Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray, amen.